You may have seen the overhead drone video of last month's Kentucky Derby race, this race at Churchill Downs, and watched with marvel. If you did, you felt your pulse quicken as this epic race unfolded where this no-name, back-of-the-pack, surely-also-ran horse just entered the race the day before after a more worthy horse was scratched. Named rather oxymoronically Rich Strike, he was a, a horse claimed off waivers a few months prior on a fire sale for just $30,000. This horse starts from the farthest lane away from the rail, starts out in last place, and then somehow, little by little, turn by turn, threads this needle from all the way at the back of the pack, steals his eye or his jockey's eye and some other worldly resolve that no one knew he had, seizing and surging through slim gaps and deft moves and somehow finds a way through. And then down the stretch, finds this extra gear or three extra gears that not even he knew he had. And somehow, somehow, makes a last dash, this stunning burst, this run for the roses and wins. I'm no horse lover. Um, we actually kind of dissed and dismissed horses on the cattle farm I grew up on. We preferred dirt bikes to Flicka or Farlap. But when I watch the run of Rich Strike, and I've watched and re-watched it numerous times. I'm going to admit to you, at the end, I sniff and mist and kind of choke back emotion. I don't know, but, but maybe I suppose like every good horse story, truth be told, there's something unsubconsciously tucked deep down somewhere inside that I want to believe that race and story could in some way be about my church or be about my life and yours. Greetings, Church of the Lutheran Brethren, delegates and friends, CLB congregations, members and friends who share in this great mission together. As pastors and delegates gather in convention after four long and testing years, I am also glad to gather with you this morning, our congregations around the country, on this CLB Sunday, Day of Community. Thank you for joining together in this special day. As you may know, the theme of our convention, as well as the title given to our Mission Advancement Initiative and vision for the CLB is Disciple Making Church. Delegates will have already by this time heard much and will hear more about disciple making over the following few days. Please ask them about it when they get home. We pray Disciple Making Church will become forged in our hearts together and will be shared in partnership as the vision and mission for your congregation as well as for our denomination. As a disciple-making church, our core objectives are to call to follow, to unleash new leaders, to multiply new disciples, and my theme this morning, to partner in mission. There's been a passage of scripture I've been dwelling on now for a couple months in preparation for this day that speaks of a great contest and partnership and resolve. It is the lesser known concluding lines 
of a more familiar whole chapter, Hebrews 10. Listen to how that chapter ends, verses 32 to 39. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And at other times you stood side by side. Another translation says, sometimes being partners with those so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. CLB Disciple Making Church, we are together partners in mission. We are partners in mission because of a great struggle. We are partners in mission because of a great hope. The writer of Hebrews, we believe to be the Apostle Paul, reminds the church of their history of their personal conversion, of when they came into the light, of their persistence through hardship, and it refers to it all as a great contest. Verse 32 says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. True, our current challenges are hard, but oh, they are nothing new. On a day off in Kentucky, this, just this past April, ironically, I was there not for a horse race, but for a pastor's conference on the gospel. On a day off after the conference, before my travel, my friends James and Heidi took me, Churchill Downs, open for the season the day after that I flew out, took me down the road to Lexington and another famous track called Keeneland. And there I watched my first ever real horse race if donkey races at the county fair don't count. And there and since, I've learned just a thin amount about horse racing. I didn't know this, but in horse racing, there's a simple word, they use the word trip, and it refers to, quote, the course followed by a horse and rider during the running of a race and the trouble encountered. A horse that had a good trip does not encounter unusual difficulty. A bad trip, might involve racing wide or being boxed in by other horses. Well, Church of the Lutheran Brethren, indeed, these past four years. This has been quite a trip, hasn't it? I know it's been a hard trip. I know it's been a hard trip for many of you. The Apostle Paul elsewhere recognizes the same idea and says that there is a great partnership and care that we share for each other during hard trips. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
He writes in verse 27, I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And then he says, besides everything else, I, fail, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? You see, CLB sisters and brothers, we are together partners in mission not only because of, but through these great struggles. We might at this time remember our own history as a church movement. We might think about our own personal histories of seasons when, when many others and we ourselves receive the light of the gospel, exciting fresh new days of gospel life. It says in verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in that great contest in the face of suffering. We may remember at this time the historical challenges that our church body and your congregation have had. Many struggles, questions, tensions, divisions, dreams, and, and higher hopes often than we dared believe or could see leaders and resources to serve them. We've faced difficult decisions sacrifices, casualties, those who left the church, those who left the faith, those who gave their lives sacrificially to extend the gospel, to plant churches in America and beyond, those who lost their very lives. Perhaps you hear this and remember your trials also since receiving the light. Perhaps not least in that contest is that that light seems now more a flickering wick than the bright light you wish or remember in your community or your congregation or in yourself. But even in this, we are told we are partners in mission because of this great struggle, a great contest in the face of suffering. We may nod our heads agreeing that especially these last few years, since we last convened as a church in 2018, may seem like a century ago from all the changes and trials and questions and tensions the church has faced and, and that you have faced in this pandemic and in this political polarity and the tensions and questions over everything from mask and mandate and race and sexuality and authority and freedom and, and war and sanctity and safety. In the 33rd verse, the Hebrews writer further says, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. The word translated publicly exposed comes from the realm of theater. As a matter of fact, the word is theatrizo and it means literally to be put on stage. Who wants that? Those who identify with Christ may indeed be shamed by the very people in society they are sent to in love with the gospel. And should we think that by now this world is so progressed and refined that all this will necessarily bypass us? That we might not also face what saints then and in other parts of the world now face? I want you to notice next a line that is kind of subtly inserted. Maybe you caught it. The Hebrew writer adds this curious but vital thought in the second part of verse 33. He says, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times, I love this line, you stood side by side. Or another translation, sometimes being partners 
with those so treated. Oh, do not miss this, church. It is key. You see, the resilience of those believers in their struggle, their standing firm in the great contest of mission that even meant for some public ridicule, loss of rights, loss of freedom, loss of property, even loss of life, was that they did not face that great contest and struggle alone, nor do we. They faced these challenges, these questions, those tensions, deficits, rejections, even shame. The word is koinonoi, side by side, literally partners in the struggle, as do we. I believe this is a great necessity and opportunity for our time and in the church. Like no time before, in the struggle and out of the struggle, there is this greater partnership, I believe, that may be forged and must be forged. There is a greater symbiotic partnerships between many entities in our church body. For example, CLD, CLB departments don't really have independent endeavor. We really do one thing together. We make disciples. And if we don't do that together, pretty soon I don't know that we'll be doing anything at all. Between our regions and regional leaders, we share wisdom, encouragement, expertise. We can do more in the partnership between congregations and denomination, primarily that this disciple-making church initiative becomes something that is so ingrained and shared and owned and furthered that it goes from the core of our denomination out as a movement to the tips of congregational life and ministry. This shared partnership, this partnership in ministry exists between pastors to pastors. We've seen encouraging models already of what can be done, of pastor friends informally gathering for prayer, support, cohorts of pastors working together toward congregational vitality. Personal initiative that can be a model for, for all of us, for any of us, like, like our brother, Pastor Elroy, who has taken up an uncomplicated but substantial ministry of simply calling other pastors to offer prayer. They're partners in mission. The partnership of congregations to congregations. There is room, much room, to explore how shared expertise, shared identity, shared resources, even possibly shared staff, through those we might find a greater part of our identity and greater vibrancy for our mission together than as 100 plus independent contracting congregations. We see a growing virtual bookshelf of resources that can grow much larger and impactful as congregations, pastors, lay leaders share best practices, ideas, templates, resources with each other on what we are calling the forge. The partnership of all God's people sent to our neighbors is, is a reality, but some are sent further and some need more support to go. Unleash new leaders and church planters and international missionaries who can only go by generous financial partners sending them. We are partners in mission. Affiliate partner ministries like Hillcrest and Women's Ministries in Tuscarora and I Point and LB Homes, we can do more partnered together than apart. International former planted daughter churches who have now grown up into sister churches who are open and desiring to partner with the CLBA to make disciples around the world so that our church bodies in Taiwan, Japan, Chad, Canada, the United States, Cameroon, China, those of our people who have gone out under other missions but are still our partners, there is this possibility of this kind of spiritual gestalt to our partnership where indeed the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. We are partners in mission. 
the cooperative elements of other like-minded conservative ministries and sister biblical Lutheran groups. There's more to be explored and ah, yes, the courageous, creative, further partnership and mission we must pursue of women and men together serving with their full scope of gifts, the full blessing of perspective and leadership of leading women in roles and doors opened and summoned that they may be find creative in new ways in our congregations yet in keeping with the complementary callings of God's design in creation and his church. And last, not least, perhaps most exciting of all and necessary, the summoning partnership of young and old together. The experience and wisdom and mentorship of one generation opening their hearts to following generations. The embrace of proliferation far above protection, of multiplication above survival opening the door, summoning to the table, listening to the voice and receiving the gifts of young leaders developing among us and that younger generation, more given to vision than dreams regarding that generation before them, not seeking to replace, but to partner with and build upon and to benefit from sage mentorship and experience. Oh, let these partnerships forged in struggle all the more flourish among the Church of the Lutheran Brethren, a disciple-making people. So yes, we are partners in mission because of a great struggle, but also because of a great hope. And so our text continues in verse 34. You sympathized with those in prison, joyfully accepted confiscation of property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a very little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. Oh, Church of the Lutheran Brethren, we are partners in mission also because we share this great hope. The best is yet to come. We absolutely know how the movie ends, don't we? You know, it's like every Disney horse movie worth its salt or hay feed from Farlap to Flicka to Secretariat or Sea Biscuit or Dreamer or Black Stallion or Black Beauty or Hidalgo goes on, doesn't it? Man from Snowy River, International Velvet. Undoubtedly, Rich Strike will be turned into an epic equestrian film. But we know how every one of those films ends, don't we? There is only one ending. May I ask you, church? Do we know less about how the story of the church and our partnership in God's mission ends? No. Lately, I've noticed with some recent appliance purchases that the simple dings and alarms notifying me that my leftover spaghetti is now warm or my socks in the dryer are comfortably arid have now become by the miracle of or intrusion of technology somehow opportunities to inspire my otherwise lackluster uninspired day. Have you noticed this as well? My little countertop microwave uh, sings me a little songbird tune to cheer my heart and brighten my outlook on life when it's 30 seconds are up. Our, our new dishwasher we bought plays an inspiring little fife tune at the end of its cycle like I'm being let off into my day's valiant battle. I, I feel like I hear the song and I want to go strike down some invading Visigoth or kick down a statue or two. Our new stackable washer and dryer, rather than a, a simple set of concluding beeps, one plays some version of 
tis a gift to be simple, it sounds like, and the other answers antiphonally with something close to Beethoven's fifth. Man, I am roused when I hear those songs. Ready for action, just doing the laundry. Not really. CLB friends, may I ask us what steals our resolve? What inspires our mind? What quickens our pulse and our heart? The tune of a microwave or the replay of a horse's dash to the finish line and by which we get misty eyes watching it? These surely must not move us more than the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, than the power of his resurrection, than the promise of heaven and the unequivocal eternal predicament of our neighbor needing all of the above. Know what steals our resolve and inspires our minds and quickens our hearts and our hands is this partnership we have in this mission as a disciple-making church. Our text, Hebrews chapter 10, concludes with kind of a sobering warning and a sure affirmation that somewhat surprisingly use the same image and expression. The, the writer of Hebrews has assured us that we are partners in mission in this great struggle as well as in this great promised hope. He tells us in verses 34 through 37 again to remind the best is yet to come. Keep your joy. Don't lose your confidence. Persevere in just a little while he is coming. But then we get to verse 38 and, it, and we are brought this brief sober interruption like some disclaimer in a pharmaceutical commercial. Like a warning label of sorts that's paraphrased from two prophets, Isaiah and Habakkuk, that just pauses us, checks us a moment, because we know the natural inclination of our hearts. And there it says, verse 38, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But he doesn't leave us there. Then to close, and church, please just pause now. Listen well. Just drink this in. Just still yourselves here and bask in the sure confidence and knowing promise. As the writer of Hebrews in this last line kind of flips the switch from what all along has been strong second person pastoral exhortation the whole way now comes intimately close and joins in in first personal plural gospel proclamation. When I first came to this final verse of Hebrews chapter 10, I wasn't expecting it. It actually ca caught me off guard. But oh, did I need it. Did I need it after this year, after these years, after this life? Did I need this? I need to hear this sure confidence God has in this contest, this holy wager of sorts by the Savior on the darkest horse with the longest odds, with the worst starting position of all. And yeah, I suppose it's truly less bet than lock because it's hedged by divine omniscience, omnipotence, sovereignty, and grace. But here's the writer of Hebrews' final line, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who believe and are saved. Know this. We know this because the real race 
has already been won by Christ. The results are already posted and paid off. And we, we run, yes, we call ourselves and others by the word to follow. We partner in mission. We unleash new leaders and multiply new disciples and new congregations. But all along, we know how the race and the movie ends, don't we? In my brief time getting just a little more familiar with horse racing, I came across a site, a website, that listed scores of horse racing slang expressions. It's fascinating. Maybe I should say fascinator, those funny little things ladies, or big things ladies put in their hair to impersonate a peacock. Anyway, I learned just a, a little bit more about horse race talk, and I'd like to close with a few of the more memorable ones. First, a few that I asked the Lord to keep myself and my church from being, and one I would claim in my Savior for us all. Here they are. Did you know these terms? The first one, lug in, means a horse that drifts towards the rail during the stretch run, usually the sign of a tired horse. Lord, keep us from that. Or the word eased, it means a horse that is pulled up or stopped prior to finishing the race. Lord, help us not stop the race. Or this one, spit the bit. Oh, keep us from spitting the bit. It means when a tired horse stops running hard. But here's the best one of all, the positive expression, this glorious expression. It's called the look of eagles. And it means a horse that has a confident look. Rich strike indeed had the look of eagles. Jesus Christ in his race had the look of eagles, as do his disciples who after him follow. For indeed, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Amen.